Welcome to Sex Positive Families, where parents, caring adults, and advocates come to grow and learn about sexual health in a supportive community. I'm your host and the founder of SPF, Melissa Carnegie. Join me and special guests as we dive into the art of sex positive parenting. Together, we will shake the shame and trash the taboos to strengthen sexual health talks with the children in our lives. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, families. So an important part of being a sex-positive family is maintaining the sexual wellness of the adults in the equation. When we parents or caretakers can model an attention to our own sexual health, it sets a living example and gives our children permission to follow suit. So on this episode, I had the pleasure of learning about the connection between pelvic health to sexual health from Dr. Uchenna Osai, who is a pelvic health physical therapist and AA sex certified sexuality counselor. Alongside her work in the medical field, she also has her own business called UC Logic, which is a platform that focuses on improving the sexual intelligence of adults through innovative content and honest discussion that is free of judgment. And that's actually how we became connected I watched her Bourbon Tales video series she does on Instagram, so make sure you go over and follow her at UC Logic so that you can get some grown and sexy sexual health information. So get comfy and get ready to learn about sexual health and pelvic health because the doctor is in. All right, so we have with us Dr. Uchenna Osai, or better known as UC from UC Logic. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I am so, so happy to be here with everyone. I've been a pelvic health physical therapist for about seven years now. And really what started my journey was a internship when I was about 15 years old, a summer internship with a wonderful woman named Kathy Tisco in Dallas. And when I interned with her, I thought originally that it was just a regular orthopedic physical therapy job, but it was actually a pelvic health physical therapy job. And she saw um, women and men with pelvic floor issues. And so I thought, wow, this is amazing. And it, it, it ignited something deeper in me. You know, I thought I wanted to either do business or med school. And I was one of those nerdy kids that did like med school camp, you know, <laughs> and, and like math camp. And, <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. And then when I did this job, I was like, whoa, like, I really felt at home. And so the reason why I went to PT school was to be a pelvic health PT. And, um, you know, I actually had an interesting journey. I, I went to college in Boston. I went to Boston University, and I was actually in their master's of physical therapy program as a freshman. But, you know, I, uh, I'll be honest with you. I partied a little too hard, and I was like, man, I want to enjoy this college life of mine. I don't want to be in a master's program at 18. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, I switched majors, and then I, you know, came back to my senses when I graduated, and I was like, oh, I really – do want to be a PT. So I just, I did research for two years and went to grad school after at 24. So. Wow. Wow. And so you, mm-hmm. you've been in practice since then or like, do they have um, like clinical work or how does that work? Yeah. So, um, I did a three-year clinical doctorate program. Um, and that's the terminal degree in physical therapy, similarly to a PharmD or the doctor in nursing. Mm. And I then went on to do my residency in women's health at 
Washington University in St. Louis. And then I was practicing for a couple of years before I decided to do another postgraduate work at the University of Michigan Ann Arbor at their sexuality education and and their sexual health certificate program. Mm -hmm. And that's where I actually was able to get a lot of the didactic learning and, and clinical mentorship for treating patients with sexual dysfunction because we didn't, I didn't have anything like this. There wasn't anything like this in PT school and there wasn't anything like this in my residency where I learned to be a pelvic health physical therapist. And when you're treating people who have complex pelvic floor dysfunction, where they're coming to you with urinary incontinence, constipation, pain with sex, genital pain, you name it. And, you know, of course they're coming to you because they want to stop, you know, having bladder accidents or they want to stop having um, pelvic pain, but they also, that impacts their sexual function. And Mm -hmm really, that really impacts your whole sense of self and identity. And I felt a huge um, lack of competency and knowledge in addressing these needs for my patients. Like literally for the first couple of years, I was just reading as many books as I can. And I tried to take a course here or there, but, um, you know, I felt like I needed, I needed to do something more. And that's why I did the Michigan program. Wow. And you, and kind of speaking on that, you were one of three licensed physical therapists with this certification. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I'm one of three um, pelvic health physical therapists in the world with um, an AA sex certification in sexuality counseling. Wow. And I'm also a board certified uh, women's health clinical specialist, which basically it's, it's kind of like... Um, it's kind of like being a board certified OB-GYN, you know, mm-hmm. so your gynecologist, you know, went to med school and then did four years of residency and then sat for their boards and to be a gynecologist. That's the physical therapy version of that. Gotcha. Gotcha. What intrigued you about, so kind of, I guess, prior to this, or was it truly as you went through, you know, your educational experience, you know, what really drew you to sexual health? Um, Did you have kind of any earlier experiences or curiosities or anything that tied you to this specific area? You know, I I really wish I could tell you there was one specific specific thing. Um, But I have to say, now that we're, you know, I'm talking to sex positive families, it was my mother. Mm. Um, it was my mom. She's my mother is like a Nigerian tour de force, you know. Um, <laughs> she's a chemist. You know? she's, Shout out to mom. <laughs> you know, she's she's a superstar. She's a chemist. She's a she's an immigrant. She is a fierce Catholic. So it was really interesting growing up in a house where your mother is a scientist, but also hardcore Catholic who goes to church twice a week <laughs> and tells you to stay virginal till you're married, but that sex is supposed to be a pleasurable experience and that, you know, (laughs) you shouldn't give it all away to some guy, but then, you know, she's also saying that masturbation is okay. And then, you know, I go to church literally three times a week because I was in parochial school my entire life until I went to college. So it was, it was very interesting because she, she wasn't afraid to talk to us about sex and Often, I feel that I, my sister and I really lucked out with our mother because, you know, here she is trying to raise children in a certain religious belief system, but then also recognizing that there, she separated the religious belief mm. with, with, with the sexual component, wow. right? But then she also could, but she also did it because 
it was, she still firmly wanted us to be virgins, but not be virgins until married or until we were in love with someone, until we were in a mutually respectful relationship. And that is a very radical thing for a hardcore Catholic mommy to say to her daughter. Absolutely. And it wasn't because she's like, oh, my precious female, female child, you know, you need to stay pure for your man. It was more for us to have a beautiful experience or for mm-hmm. us to be to be able to give of our whole self to, to the person that we're with. And even now I struggle with that because I was like, well, mom, I'm not giving myself to anyone. You know, I'm experiencing sex. And you told me that you told me that sex is supposed to be a mutually pleasurable experience. And she's like, of course, she's like, of course. And I think for her, she said that there are some patriarchal um, kind of ideologies that slip in there, even when she's trying to be um, a very, progressive parent, mm-hmm. not for the sake of being progressive, but for the sake of, for the sake of her children. Right. Yeah. You know, cause she, this is a woman who came from Nigeria, born and raised in Nigeria and in an environment where female genital mutilation was a common practice. Mm-hmm. And I think from watching that and seeing that in, in her life, I think she wanted her children to have a robust experience, but also in line with our Catholic beliefs at the time her Catholic beliefs at the time. Wow. Yeah, that that is something that so many people, you know, are challenged with and, and struggle with, just those deep-rooted beliefs. But I also want to say, I still hid the fact that I was having sex for my mom. But wow. I, <laughs> like, I just want to make that clear. But you're not you're not alone. I think a lot of people listening could certainly raise their hand to that. It's oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. It wasn't like I was like, "Mommy, I'm having all these great orgasms with this dude." <laughs> it was it was just more. I knew what to do. I was on birth control. I used a condom every time. Excellent. You know, I yeah. I protected myself and I I explore. I sex was more of a I explored sex differently. It wasn't something I was doing to please the person that I was with. It was more, oh, I just wanted to do it because it was fun for me. Mm. And I was curious. Yeah. So that's a different place to be than some of my classmates at the time who were having sex to kind of keep their boyfriend yeah. or girlfriend. Yeah. Well, she did well. So <laughs> yeah. why is pelvic health so relevant? to sexual health. Help us understand for folks that may be new to talking about or learning about, you know, the pelvic floor, help us understand, break it down for us. Pelvic floor are the muscles at the floor of your pelvis. So they are the muscles that kind of attach at your pubic bone where your lower at that bone, right? Your lower abdomen and all the way back to your tailbone. So they hold up all of your organs and they're their primary job is to keep your organs inside of you and to stabilize your pelvis and your spine, right? But another job they have is that they help you with urination, defecation, sex, babies, if you have a uterus and a vagina, and urination. So, and they also pump all that blood from your lower extremities back up to your heart, and they also distribute your lymphatic um, fluid. So they have a lot. Just a couple things, right? Yeah. Yeah, just a couple things, right. you know. A little they bit keep, busy they today. Keep the train, they keep the train on the tracks, you know. Yeah, wow. and, and so when it comes to that, that, those are huge components. And I would have to say, why is your pelvic floor important for sexual health? Well, because those are your sphincter muscles, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They, they say, hey, if your bladder's full, hey, let's empty it. Then they, those muscles have to relax. And when you're done peeing, those muscles tighten back up. 
if you have to have a bowel movement, your muscles have to let go and they, and your colon has to contract to push your stool through. And the same thing during sex, those muscles are going to compress and they're going to release and they're going to pump blood into the penis and pump blood into the clitoris. And they're going to, they're going to, you know, expand and contract during your orgasms, during arousal, Hmm. you know, it's going to work in synergy with your nervous system. That's getting upregulated as you get aroused and as you have orgasms, as you get emotionally stimulated and triggered. So they work in tandem. So it's not, it, it doesn't work in isolation. It's part of a team. And so if your pelvic floor isn't acting right, you know, if it's acting a fool, <laughs> then all of the other components related to that do, do get disrupted. Your pelvic floor is mechanical in that it has to kind of contract and relax um, in a pattern that's really specific to the individual in order for you to experience, to have the sexual experience you're looking for or to feel the sexual um the sexual experience fully. See, and what's coming to mind for me, and, and I don't know, this is just me and my life experience, but I, I don't feel like I got a whole lot of education amongst all of the anatomy-oriented ed- education that I had specific to pelvic health or the pelvic floor. Is that is right. that just me or is that common? No, that's very common. That's very, very common. It's almost shocking to me when you see even formal sex education in schools, whatever, however, you, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. how they just totally ignore this body part. Yeah. How most biology classes right. <laughs> ignore this part of your body because it's such an important part, and I think they stay away from it because mm-hmm. it's around the genitals. Yeah, and I, I think that you know because the re- one of the components about your pelvic floor that I want people to understand if they take away. One few things, I want this to be one of them. Your pelvic floor is a muscle, just like your abdominals are muscles, just like your biceps and your booty is a muscle or your gluteal muscles are mm-hmm. a muscle, right? right? So let's say that you've had a stressful day, right? So let's use me as an example. When I am truly stressed, my neck and I get headaches and my neck just doesn't want to act mm, right. I do that. That's right? me too, yeah. Right? So like my body keeps the score. And it happens to keep the score in my neck, in my upper trap muscles, and my latissimus muscles. For somebody else, it might be their lower back. For someone, it might, for, for the next person, it might be their gut. Hmm. And for another person, it might be their pelvic floor. So when you're thinking about your pelvic floor muscle, it's very sensitive to what's going on in your life, in your day-to-day routine. And, it, and you may be a person where your pelvic floor isn't affected by stress, but then you may be someone that is. Right. And if you're not aware that muscle even exists, that can be a real problem. Yeah. You're like, what is going on with my body? Why am I having pain? Or why am I having a hard time pooping right now? Yeah. Why can't I pee right? That makes perfect sense. So then like, so yeah. then leading into kind of what are some common dysfunctions that you see that are correlated to pelvic floor, pelvic health? Pelvic floor dysfunction is an umbrella term to kind of describe any problems at the navel and below the navel and above the knee. Let's let's use men, for example. Some men come to the urologist and they say, oh, you know, I'm having pain in my prostate or I can't pee or I'm, I, I'm having pain with ejaculation, right? Mm-hmm. The urologist will say, oh, you have an infection. Here's some antibiotics. And then the guy will take it and he'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. 
And then maybe a like couple weeks later, he's like, ah, it's still there. It's still there. And so, so after a few years, this guy's like, I don't have it. The, the doctor will say, you don't have an infection. I'm not giving you any more antibiotics. It's really their pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. And so what they call that is like prostatitis, male prostatitis, but really it's male pelvic pain. Right. And for women, there's, there's things like dyspareunia. So that's called pain with intercourse vaginismus. So the muscles that around the opening of the vagina, they, they're too tight. So nothing can go in, right? Not a finger, not a tampon, not a speculum, Mm -hmm. not a dildo, nothing. Right. Or when it can't, when it does go in, it's extremely painful. feels like they're being ripped apart vaginally. So pelvic floor dysfunction is constipation, your inability to empty your bowels, you know, or not getting an urge to have a bowel movement. It can be urinary urgency so feeling like you always need to pee but then you go to the bathroom and nothing comes out you know like you know that feeling where you have to pee really bad and you get that relief once you've emptied imagine having that feeling with no relief all the time yeah all day that would be maddening maddening right can you would you want to have sex if you feel like that all the time absolutely not nothing is going inside of me exactly (laughs) (laughs) you know so those are common um, conditions that you'll see in pregnancy and postpartum. That's another thing. So a lot of women at postpartum, if they've given birth, whether it's C-section or vaginally, let's say C-section, right? Some women have end up having a pubic symphysis separation. So the bone that connects your pelvis in the front gets separated. That can be extremely painful. Mm. You might have an infection at the C-section. And mind you, with the C-section, they've cut through three layers of fat, or not fat, excuse me, muscle, Mm -hmm. abdominal muscle. And your abdominal muscles are very important for what? Spine stabilization, the pelvic girdle stabilization, the pelvic floor function. Remember, we talked about the team sport that the pelvic floor plays with the rest of your body. If Mm -hmm. your abs are off the field, right? So Mm -hmm. it's almost like hockey. I mean, I don't know how many people play on the team, but let's say there's six people at a time. Mm -hmm. Let's say one dude's in the penalty box. They're playing short which means everyone else has to pick up the slack. Right. And so that's how you want to think about that postpartum period. And you're also at a hormonal disadvantage because you're, if you're particularly if you're breastfeeding, yes. um, <laughs> because your estrogen stores are bottomed out. So that means like all that juicy lube that I call estrogen goes away from your joints, goes away from your skin, which means your vagina is drier than the Sahara. Your joints are loosey goosey. You don't feel quite right. You're sleep deprived. Been there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> right? And I know, I know, we have listeners who've been there. They're screaming yeah. amen on that. Yeah. It makes it so so hard to tap into intimacy and your sexuality when all of that is going on. It's crazy. It's so hard, you know. And one of the things that I always kind of tell a lot of my patients is that, particularly my postpartum patients, you know, such strong, exceptional humans in this group you know i mean good lord but i always say this you know right now your body is you know not acting right okay we accept that but we also have to look at the fact that you're not getting as much sleep as you're used to getting Mm -hmm. right and then you're also you're also taking care of a, a new human right so if there are any Let's say there are any issues with sex, like even the slightest before all this came into play, all of that is going to rear its ugly head, Yeah. right? Because in sex, you have to be, um, I was listening to a podcast by my colleagues, the Pleasure Mechanics, 
And listening to Esther Perel talk about this very issue, and she says that, you know, women need to be a little bit more narcissistic narcissistic in bed. Mm, good point. <laughs> right? Yeah. And particularly during that postpartum phase where your, your whole mind and soul, every cell in your body is focused on that baby, it's hard to kind of rip yourself out of caretaking mode to do you. Right. Yeah. So it's really about kind of counseling yourself, but also counseling your partner or partners well enough to kind of support you in that. Because it may be that intimacy is your love language during that time in your life. You might need a partner who will anticipate every need you have so that you can at least have the bandwidth to consider sex. Yeah, just, and, you know, things as small as just kind of taking that load off of, of the, right. the all of the many responsibilities, because you can feel like a machine. Levels of your life, you know, are being sucked from you, sometimes literally. Um, right. And it's, and it's on this certain schedule, you know, and the schedule's not yours anymore. And like you said, the time to recoup and recharge through rest or through even eating, you know, through bathing, through just kind of some basic self-care components. And I think arguably, arguably within the first, you know, year, um, at least. Yeah, if you're in a partnership and having a partner who's willing to just take some of that load off, that can get those juices flowing. (laughs) It totally can. Or if you're single, establishing community partners, Mm -hmm. tribe partners, because being a single parent is not easy. Mm -hmm. You know, my mother was a single parent with me starting from age 12. And granted, we, my sister and I were toileting independently at that time and we could feed ourselves. <laughs> but I remember that was a really tough time in our lives. And when, you're, when you have a new baby and you don't have a partner sharing the same space with you, it's going to be a lot. But preserving your sexy means identifying partners to help you out, even if it means that they can watch the baby for two hours mm-hmm. while you shower and get a quick nap in. Absolutely. You know, and something as small as that can make a huge difference in finding yourself again. But establishing those patterns, those uh, behaviors early is going to be key to get you out of that postpartum period. You know, once the baby is big enough to kind of, once the baby is a little bit more independent. Right. So by day, you are immersed in, in this public health work. By night, you get into other things. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. What is, what is yeah. that? Tell us about that. Yeah, I, I founded my platform, UC Logic, Y-O-U-S-E-E Logic, mainly as a f- platform for my grown folk. So it really stemmed from my patients. And after years of treating people of all genders, all ages, all partner structures, one of the most common things I heard was, I wish I met you 10 years ago. I wish I knew this. When, I wish I wish I knew that I could do this. I wish I knew I could go to you. Mm. I'm so sad that, you know, I was able to address my issue with you in two months when I've been living with this for 20 years. Wow. And that really bugged me. Mm-hmm. And one of the, I started asking my patients, I said, well, why did you wait so long? What was it? And they're like, well, when I went to my doctor, they told me to drink a glass of wine and just to chill out. Or mm. they told me that it was in my head and I just had to live with it. And I didn't think, and I thought as an adult, I knew what I needed to, I already knew what I needed to know about this. Yeah. You trust that you're getting the education that you're supposed to have to to adults. Yeah. yeah. They were like, I'm I'm grown. Like, what else am I supposed to know about sex? What else is there about sex that I need to know? What else is there about my body that I need to know? 
other than the fact that it hurts or it's not fun or I, or I can't maintain an erection or I can't get orgasms. And I'm just like, dang. Mm. So it's really about this lack of audacity or permission to kind of continue to seek knowledge about those things. And, and that's when I started learning of when I decided I needed to do, um, some more graduate work because I said to myself, well, what is that about? Like, where's that coming from? Mm-hmm. You know, and when you think about sex, you have to look at it from a bio psychosocial model, mm-hmm. right? Where you look, there's a biological piece where we talked about hormones and then there's the psychological piece where we can talk about stress and like, you know, Hey, you're a person that's more leaning towards the anxious point of view, or you have a history of mental health or bipolar disorder, or you just may be, you know, kind of a type type B personality, you know, that can inform how your sex is. And also what how you grew up, what was your sociocultural environment growing up? What's your sociocultural environment now? And then of course the interpersonal aspects of that too. Your relationship, the relationship you have with your family, the relationship you have with your partner if you have a partner or your friends. Like all of that informs your sexual footprint. And so through and very well said And so through the work that you're doing in the sex education space, you're helping people to kind of reach these breakthroughs and come to a better understanding of themselves within sexuality and in their sexual health. Absolutely. And that's why sometimes, you know, I have, well, that's why I started Bourbon Tales, right? Where, you know, I'm like, well, if I'm going to talk about sex, I need to be drinking bourbon because that's like my life juice. It's a video format on Instagram where I answer people's questions about sex and it's just a 60 second response, but I wanted to give people that I wanted people to be comfortable asking those questions and I wanted them to know that no one's judging you and we are all wondering the same question that you had the bravery to ask. And that's why I also inform, you know, sometimes I, when I, I have this thing called swagger tips as well on Instagram, where I just kind of give people tips on how to maintain their sexy swagger or their just swagger in life. And sometimes they're not about sex. Sometimes it's about what's going on in society. Sometimes it's about what's going on politically or culturally. I make comments on that or say, you know, be kind, you know, <laughs> or sometimes you have to take a knee. And it doesn't necessarily need to be about the national anthem. It could be about anything going on in your life. And understanding that that is going to impact how you express yourself sexually. Well, Bourbon Tales is how SPF got to know you and your presence. I mean, you just have both such a wealth of knowledge, but then also coupled with just a real, genuine, honest, like it's clear that you are passionately connected to to serving in this way. So I highly encourage anyone listening who has not connected to uh, UC Logic on Instagram, you need to run over there, do that now, check out the Bourbon Tales. You have a catalog of them at this point um, and <laughs> yeah, still happening, right? In the new year, we're gonna see more Bourbon Tales because it, it's it's such, it's 60 seconds, but like you hit all the, the key points and do it with such a renewed perspective. Thank you, thank you for thank you for bringing that and filling that gap for a lot of us. Oh, my pleasure. It's it's really a joy, and I love doing it. And I will always do Bourbon Tales. I come out every Sunday, sometime in the evening, and I th- that will always be there. You know, I'm I'm gonna try and change my format this year. There's stuff coming, 
but bourbon ta- bourbon tails will is my mainstay for sure well, you are killing it. I have a couple Thank more you. curiosities before yeah. we have to wind this out. One of them is, what do, what do some of your colleagues in the field think? Or do they know, are they tapped into to this work that you do outside of the day job? They're starting to. I think <laughs> that I've been very quiet about, not because I'm ashamed, because I love what I do. Right. I, I, You know, sometimes when you create projects, it's really really for you and for the audience that you're trying to reach. And when I started this, I genuinely had no idea that it was going to turn into what it is now. I genuinely just thought, let me just do a couple videos here and there on Instagram (laughs) and just tell a few people about it. Like I honestly made the first few videos were for my friends who had been asking me questions for years. I think the first like eight videos were just strictly from my friends. So, but so then when I decided to expand UC Logic and really make an effort to put it out there, which I didn't really decide to do until mid June that I, um, you know, I was like, wow, you know, I'm going to start sharing this more. And then my colleagues have been super, super generous, super um, accommodating, and they they want me to teach them, and they want Mm. me to put out education for them so they can, you know, address this need with their patients a little more. It's really exciting. It's a really exciting time. Yeah, because I mean, in the medical field, you know, across all of these different disciplines or sub-disciplines, I mean, there is just a, a marked gap in terms of sex education, you know, and continuing sexual health education, you know, there's so much specialization that happens yes. certainly in our country in terms of healthcare. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, it's starting to go in that sex zone. I think we need to refer out or, or again, they get some other, the patient gets some other version of what could be wrong with them or what remedy, you know, what remedy can support them that doesn't have to do right. with sex. So you're really filling you're really filling a gap there too. So that's exciting. That's exciting that you get to to uh, you know teach your teach your colleagues. Yes, yes. I'm hopefully I'll get get this education pieces out for them soon. Just you know doing it one day at a time. Yeah. One day at a time. You you yeah. you are just one person, right? <laughs> at, at the end of the day. Um, so and and the other thing, but before we we fully wrap up, what advice do you have for you know how folks can strengthen the pelvic floor? So here's what I'm going to tell everyone: um, not everyone should be doing Kegel exercises or or strengthening their pelvic floor, and not everyone should be doing pelvic floor relaxation exercises. You really need to know where you where you where you stand. So like all of us doing um, any type of sex education or counseling, we need to know where our biases stand. We need to know where we first live in our own space before we can start addressing other people's needs. So what I would suggest for people is that if you have the opportunity or the ability to have your pelvic floor assessed by your healthcare provider, like a midwife, urologist, primary care physician, and have them... and have them assess your pelvic floor and say, am I doing this right? Because that is actually going to be the best way to know if you're doing it correctly. Mm. Because what you want to be feeling is you want to feel your pelvic floor contract around your finger, whether you insert that to your vagina or into your anus. You want to feel it squeeze your finger. And almost if you're sitting up, it's almost like you're lifting your finger up towards your head, Mm. right? And you need to not be moving any other part of your body. So if you're doing a Kegel, 
it should just look like you're staring into space. You shouldn't be moving your shoulders. You shouldn't be holding your breath. You shouldn't be arching your back. You shouldn't be squeezing your butt cheeks. It should be isolated to your pelvic floor muscles between the legs. And you should be able to fully relax. So the relaxation is just important as a contraction. So if you have a history of pain or if you have difficulty with constipation or emptying your bladder, do not do Kegel exercises without supervision. That would be my recommendation. That's really good to know because I feel like there's so much out there about, you know, Kegel exercises that I don't know if that's always what people understand, you know, in terms of having that kind of, you know, support through that process. Yeah, it's very complicated. You know, when I say everything is connected, everything truly is connected. So if you have issues with your back or your hips, I would recommend that you see a pelvic health physical therapist if you can. If you don't have access to one, what I would suggest is go ahead and using your finger or a dildo, or if your partner has a penis, using that to kind of help um, assess your pelvic floor. And they want to feel, like I said, a squeezing and lifting up with a finger and then a full release. You heard yes. it first, folks. So that's your homework assignment. <laughs> <laughs> so what, yes. what do you have? What are, what are some big projects that you have going on for 2018? My primary projects right now is that um, I'm working on some collaboration with uh, Icon Underwear, and um, the National Health Service in um, United Kingdom on some sexuality on some sexuality education. I also will be putting out a YouTube series, hopefully in the summertime, you know, for UC Logic, but with a different perspective, less bourbon tales, more um, documentary style um, sexual interviewing with um, different people and different relationship structures and different backgrounds and education and gender um, identities and so that's that's what's up the chain and you know just building building my private practice and helping as many of my colleagues as I can to move forward and you know do more clinical research Uh, now that I'm a professor it's it's important for me to do research as to what I do and I want to make sure I get some publications under my belt this year so that is my goal Absolutely. So. How can people connect with you? How can people find you? Oh, so you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at UC Logic, or you can find me on my website at www.uclogic.com. Um, you can also email me uh, at info at uclogic.com. And I'm also, I forgot to mention, a brand ambassador for lifestyle condoms. So if you go on their website and just type in um, UC or Dr. Osai, you will see um, I have several videos on their YouTube channel as well as on their website and written blogs. And so hopefully you guys can reach me on one of those um, avenues and just feel free to shoot me a DM or send me an email, say hi, or post a question for Bourbon Tales on the website. Yeah. And I think I also caught you this past Tuesday night doing something. Are you going to continue oh, yes. doing that? Oh, my goodness. I know. Like, oh. you're doing so many oh things. God. Come on, you see. Jeez. Keep I, up with them. <laughs> you're like, I, I'm there and I'm doing it. And then I've got to move on to the next, right? Yes, guys. I, <laughs> I am a pleasure professional for O.Dot School, which is an amazing platform that's changing the game with sex education. Mm-hmm. And I have a weekly show that I live stream called The Pelvic Hour with Dr. UC. And we talk about the pelvic floor, we talk about pleasure, we talk about 
anything that has to do with the pelvis and even non-related. So please, please um, join me on on my show. It's I, I, I love it. It's super fun. I don't even feel like it's work. It's just me sitting there drinking bourbon and talking about the pelvis. It was so fun. So fun. So informative. And again, you're so relatable and knowledgeable. I mean, this has been super informative. I feel like we could certainly go on and on. Thank you so much for doing what you do and both in the medical realm and then also in terms of connecting with folks about their sexual health and keeping it grown and sexy. Anytime. My pleasure. It was wonderful chatting with you and I wish you the best in 2018. Thank you so much. Well, we will continue bringing information and content that supports sexual health and families. So thank you for being a part of that mission. My pleasure. Big thanks to UC for demystifying the connection between pelvic and sexual health. Links to her platforms can be found in the show notes. So be sure to connect and support. And if you liked this episode and podcast, please leave a review in iTunes or Google Play so more people can find us. And you can always visit us on our website at sexpositivefamilies.com. There you can shop Sex Positive swag in our online store, connect with us across our social media platforms, join our Facebook community, and learn more resources to help support sexual health in your family. Until next time, I'm Melissa Carnegie. Thank you for supporting content that strengthens sexual health talks in families.